the bobwhite quail. It's this little round softball. That's right. They're not much bigger than my fist, you know. Um, they've got little legs, but they're a ground nesting, ground dwelling bird. If they never have to fly in their life, they wouldn't, right? They just do that to get away from hawks and owls for the most part, or hunters. What they need is wildflowers. They need a small proportion of grasses. I need stuff that most people would call weeds. Those are providing good brood cover, good nesting cover, a lot of insects. That's what chicks need to develop early. Bridgestone Firestone is a quail focal area, so tell us a little bit why. It's it's largely because there are very few places that have wild quail in the state of Tennessee anymore. It's a habitat issue. Whether we're talking about development or whether we're talking about fire not being on the landscape anymore or fields and young forests progressing into closed canopy forest. The farm, just by nature of it being an open landscape that's been maintained that way, has held on to some birds. And compared to most other places in the state, we're one of the very few. On top of that, the potential for growing that population, it's higher here than just about anywhere else. The award-winning Tennessee Wildcast is on the air with the latest on hunting, fishing, boating, wildlife watching, and all things outdoors. Make welcome your host, drummer and outdoor expert novice, Jason Harmon. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Tennessee Wildcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching, for listening. we got a great show for you today. We are on location at Bridgestone Firestone WMA. Miss Mimi Barnes is helping me co-host. Happy to be here. I'm excited to be outdoors and just away from the office for for a hot minute here and do a couple shows uh, at this property and and we're going to meet Nathan uh, Wilhite today so I'm excited to meet him and get to know him a little bit and what he's doing here on the property so yeah it is absolutely beautiful the WMA stretching out behind us for those of us that see us um, through video yeah those of you watching go go uh, thanks for tuning in and if you're listening on the radio or on the podcasting app go check us out on YouTube Facebook Instagram we're out there everywhere and you can see what we're seeing. So we got birds flying around. We'll get into all that here in a minute. We got beautiful landscapes, so I'm excited. Nathan, thank you for having us. Yes, sir. Welcome. We're glad to have you. Um, just uh, want to dive in and learn a little bit about you. And uh, you're fairly new to the property here. Been uh, managing this place for a few years, I guess now. And uh, just excited to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, sir. I, I started out here in October of 2021, so we're working on we're coming up on two years. Yeah. Um, but I grew up in West Tennessee, right outside of Memphis and Shelby County. Um, and uh, spent a bunch of time as a kid growing up hunting in, in uh, Arkansas, chasing waterfowl. Um, Big duck hunter. That's right. And then, right. then moved over to East Tennessee, went to school in Knoxville. Um, fell in love with wildlife management. And from there, I've, I've been just about anywhere and everywhere you can imagine. Um, bounced out to Eastern North Carolina, did some waterfowl work for a while. And um, worked in West Kansas for a little bit on a grassland bird project and uh, then went down to Pine Plantation Country in Florida and Georgia and worked down there and wow. started grad school in Georgia and um, from there after grad school went out to Nebraska and worked for two years as a private lands biologist before kind of getting roped in to come back to Tennessee and <laughs> doing what we're doing here and, uh, so um, yeah, I've been, been a little bit everywhere. A, a lot of my work has been kind of in grassland management and up in game birds. And um, so excited to be doing a lot of that it's that stuff here at Bridgestone. Did you want to come back to Tennessee? Was that your goal? I, not at all. In fact, when I moved across the Mississippi River, my dad was uh, helping drive a U-Haul, and I told him I'm not crossing the Tennessee River or the Mississippi River again. And, uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> he reminded me of that when I moved back. <laughs> uh, but I had a I had a couple people who were very important to me who um, you know they knew this job was going to be coming open and mm. and they were really trying to. Um, put it in my ear just to be considering it and to be honest with you when i applied it was just well we'll just see what happens yeah. you know i'd have been perfectly content you know running my bird dogs out in the prairies you know uh, but when uh when nathan opens his mouth i expect to hear bob white and nothing else <laughs> like he speaks that bird language yeah, right. there's a little bit of that well you said you caught the bug when you were at ut did did you go there to pursue wildlife management or it just it just I, got even hotter at that I point. did I did as a kid you know did the prototypical couple trips to Yellowstone and thought I want to be a wolf biologist mm -hmm. you know and uh, I came to school as a wildlife manager uh, or as a wildlife biologist uh, within a one semester I was six hours from home I said there's no way I can live 20 hours from home in Wyoming you know I can't I can't handle it mm -hmm. and uh, so there's a little bit of shell shock and um, so I switched to animal science degree and, okay and I minored in wildlife just because I enjoyed doing that on the side and so um, there's there was a lot that kind of led into that but um, I graduated with an animal science degree and then doubled up in wildlife management on the back end when I really realized that okay I, I can be away from home and be perfectly content uh, <laughs> And, you know, and the, the quail stuff didn't really come. The passion for it didn't come until a friend of mine kind of introduced it to me. And um, a professor at the University of Georgia um, hired me and, and helped uh, really explode that passion. So awesome. uh, it's all a little bit of late, late onset, you know, yeah. uh, but it, it's all worked out. Well, well, as you as you grow up, your passions change and adjust, and things. things exactly you know, right. you think you're going one direction, you end up going another. So that's right. You never know what might happen. So Bridgestone Firestone fits you like a glove. That's see. right. That's right. Absolutely. I see it I, every time I talk to him, and I hear that passion come out in him for the land, and for the management on this area. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to have you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about this property. Um, I know we talked about this a few years ago on a show here, but tell us a little bit of how this property was acquired and, and, and uh, a little bit of background on it. Yes, sir. So Bridgestone Firestone Wildlife Management Area was um, originally acquired into, uh, under an easement from Bridgestone Firestone Corporation. Hence about, the name. <laughs> that's right. Ten, about a 10,000-acre piece um, that um, has some restrictions as far as infrastructure and, and that sort of thing, but you know their goal was conservation, wildlife management, and, mm -hmm. and, um, and that's what they tasked the agency with when, when, they, uh, when we acquired it in 1998. Okay. Um, since then, there's been a couple other acquisitions that you know, we we, what we call the big bottom unit, which you'll see in the hunting guide. That's another 10,000 acres of largely old timber company land. And so um, because of all of that, we got the Candy Fork River running right through the middle of it. We have oh, wow, yeah. an awesome diversity of you know, landscapes that we get to work in every every day, right? Um, and when you say we, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who's, who's here with you? I guess that is absolutely a vital part of Bridgestone Firestone WMA. It's not just a one-man show. That's right. No, we got an incredible team. Um, I've got, I, I started with two technicians, one of which has uh, moved on to a private lands biologist position, but um, there are three full-time positions based here. There are several part-time positions that are funded through private donations um, that are, you know, through Quail Forever members that are helping fund that, and so um, right now we've got a we've got a crew of five, um, including a, a TWRA a UT intern, um, and so um, we we've got uh, plenty of help. But we could always use more. Uh, there's no doubt about that. 
Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it takes a it takes a team to manage a piece of property this size, and twenty thousand acres is that's amazing uh, space to run and play and work. And that's right. Yeah, we got we got work bases scattered across. You know, to get to the other side as the crow flies is just a few miles, but it takes an hour to drive there. Really? And so yeah. hauling equipment, and so we're working on building some infrastructure down there so that we can really you know try to expand on our management footprint. Um, on the south side as well and and then we've got another complex of fields and what locals call the big bottom area and um, and so that's a that's an area that we're we're doing some dove field management on now and and we've got rid of some hay fields in the you know in the mm -hmm. very recent past and so um, it's also a, a pretty um, highly visited area of the WMA as well so so if no one's been to Bridgestone Firestone um, before what what do they expect what can they expect when they drive onto the property absolutely i think it, the iconic picture of bridgestone is what we're where we're at right now we call this the farm some people call it the ranch mm. uh, this is about a 700 acre former dairy uh dairy cow operation right and so a lot of it in in the time since we've acquired it has been converted into um into old field management right um, we're still dealing with a lot of the relics of that um because of pasture grasses and and mm -hmm. all kinds of other non-native species here mm -hmm. um, but but this 700 acres is a, a lot of people what they see when they think about bridgestone but like i mentioned earlier there's a huge diversity we've got big steep you know scott's gulf right um that that largely we just kind of treat as preservation acres on the south side we got a bunch of timber company land that's you know it's old it's pine plantation right mm -hmm. and okay. so that to you know to the right manager is just a blank canvas right mm -hmm. and so we're having fun really working down there and so we get the big wide open fields we get some savannas uh like what we'll talk about later but um we've got pines and and then we've got a uh, closed canopy forest all around us as well um the other thing i'll add about bridgestone i think is pretty awesome you know we're directly adjacent to 6,000 acres of Chestnut Mountain with the Nature Conservancy. Very We've got, nice. we're directly up against uh, Fall Creek Falls and they're wow. 40 some odd thousand acres. We're right next to Bledsoe State Forest. Um, the Boy Scouts of America have, have a property that right, that's right next to us. Um, and so the way I look at it from a conservation standpoint, you know, you're not going to find a higher density of public lands other than a few places in the southeast. You wow. know, outside yeah. of the Smokies and, um, and you know, North Cumberland and Catoosa, you know, rival that. But, um, you know, between multiple agencies and, and landowners, there's a lot right here that are conservation acres, right? That's uh, one way. That's cool. That's one way to look at it. I mean, with all those groups in, uh, combined, you've got every outdoor almost every outdoor activity you can think of that's right we, we've got a big available look, we got a big lookout uh wells point and i had a tennessee tech class out here recently and we ended I, you know we spent all day talking about field management early successional management prescribed fire and um but we ended right there at wells point and i said look everything you see on the horizon that's conservation acres, mm -hmm. right? And so you, you get to see the grassland stuff, and that's what we spend our time on because you don't get to see that many other places. But there's plenty of opportunity for all types of wildlife management and wildland conservation right here, what you're looking at. And, and I think that's a pretty important message to be sending. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, you mentioned... Uh the Caney Fork, and I don't know that I realized that it ran, you said, right through the middle of it. It bisects us just about, that's right. If For somebody that's new to the area, what can they expect around that part of the, 
the WMA. Yeah. So is the, there access there? Or? There is. There's a couple. There's a couple trails to get in there. Okay. Um, it's it's fairly limited, right? On the north side, because of the easement, there is no ATV access and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, but the Candy Fork is a special special place. It you know in the summertime, a lot of times it dries up, right? Um, but in the spring and winter, uh, it's it's a destination for some daring folks who like to do some whitewater kayaking, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, there are some holes in there that people like to fish in. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't name any of those, but um, <laughs> but absolutely, no it, you know, I, I think that kind of it's it's one of those places uh, we're not quite at the headwaters, but we're we're just about at it, and mm-hmm. and there's not much around here that um, you know is leading right down to the river at least while you're on twa property wow you know, that's so. cool yeah i, I did, didn't register i didn't realize that was that ran right through absolutely the so so back up here at the farm uh-huh. um one of the things the ranch the no. ranch <laughs> just depends who you talk to <laughs> back up here at the ranch um when when we're standing here we are hearing the call of the bob white oh yeah and it's as soon as we pulled up Yeah, and we'll we'll cover more than just Bob White um, in our episode today, but I I really kind of want to focus on that bird for a minute. Just tell us about the Bob White quail. Um, Some of our listeners probably don't know that bird. Absolutely. I I think, you know, most people could probably just look back at their parents or their grandparents and ask what what they know about quail and and uh you know but it's an iconic species it's it, you know outside of maybe the rough grouse I'd, I'd say it's probably the most iconic species in upland of upland bird mm-hmm. um and there's a ton of history um with northern bobwhite you know they they've got a huge historical range um because you know there were conditions across much of the eastern u.s that were you know very conducive uh, to historical populations, um, you know, ever since the breeding bird survey started being implemented, those there have been declines documented, and, and there's dozens of different factors that lead into that. Right? Everybody wants to jump right to predators, but it's a it's a habitat issue, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a landscape change, whether that's we're talking about development or whether we're talking about um, fire not being on the landscape anymore, um, and or, you know, young forest progressing fields and young forest progressing into closed canopy forest, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, bobwhite are largely, um, they're a, a, in a very, very small proportion of, of their range. Um, and, and they're a place now that if people really want to enjoy them, they've got to travel a long way to. Um, so that's part of the, the emphasis of, of Bridgestone, and, and that's, that's what I've spent a lot of time in several states working on and, and studying. So in the places that you are really emphasizing Northern Bobwhite is, you know, as your priority, you're going to see a, a drastic response in that. And so that's what we're trying to do here. So this is a small bird, too, for that's someone right. that's never mm-hmm. seen a bobwhite yeah. before. It's this little round softball. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you can, I wouldn't. They're not much bigger than my fist, you know. Um, they've got little legs, but they're a ground, ground-nesting, ground-dwelling bird. If they never have to fly in their life, they wouldn't, right? Um, they just do that to get away from hawks and owls for the most part, or hunters, right? Mm-hmm. Um but what they need is um, largely herbaceous plant communities, right? So they need wildflowers. They need a small proportion of 
you know, grasses. I don't need to, you know, vast grasslands, right? I need stuff that most people would call weeds, mm. right? I need when they look out in the, in the wintertime that just looks gray, right? Um, but those are providing, you know, good brood cover, good nesting cover, um, a lot of insects, right? That's mm-hmm. that's what chicks need to develop early. But, you know, the, the key with northern bobwhite is, you know, they're a very short-lived species with the high potential for reproduction, mm-hmm. right? So um, you're going to have 20% of them that are going to survive for a year, right? So if you have a two-year-old bird, <laughs> they are they are beating the odds, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but the flip side of that is that if, if you give them the right conditions, they're built to withstand and, and rebuild their populations uh, at a, on a pretty quick pace compared to some other species. Wow. Yeah. So, so Bridgestone Firestone is a quail focus it is focal area so tell us a little bit why yeah you know that designation's been around for a while and i I think it's largely because there are very few places that have wild quail in the state of tennessee anymore okay um and so the farm just by nature of it being an open landscape that's been maintained that way has held on to some birds Mm. and compared to most other places in the state um, we're one of the very few, and 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 on top of that, you know, the potential for growing that population, it's higher here than just about anywhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's just a couple other properties in the state that that really could, if they wanted to, devote that time and energy, right? Um, but Bridgestone really provides that opportunity with the farm. You know, I could show you shortly pines out here where this used to be farmed, right, and all the big rocks are piled up at the base of the Mm. trees right Um, but that allows us to be able to get in and disc and burn and spray and and all that that sort of stuff and so we can we can do a lot of quick turnaround on you know a pretty large set of acres pretty quickly Um, but on top of that you know there are other places like i said on on the south side where we have a a lot of pine management that's very conducive to northern bobwhite that need prescribed fire Mm. right um, and so pines are, once they get to the size that they are down there, we can burn right through them and, and provide a lot of what, what they need on a, on a very, uh, consistent basis. That's so, cool. yeah. so coming up on a later show, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about the burn demonstration area and the partnership we have with UT, with UT yeah. and with Nathan. Mm-hmm. Um, but Nathan, that burn demonstration area exists here on Bridgestone Firestone. Um, tell us how that area is uh, beneficial to you as a manager. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the way I look at it is it's a, it's a blueprint for what can be replicated in the future. A showcase. That's right. You know, um, that's been a very simple recipe of, of, um, cut some at the time they were loblolly pines, right? Just like what we're dealing with on the South side, uh, a lot. Um, and then it's been followed up with prescribed fire and that's it. Right. Um, and I can tell you right now, there are several species of plants out there that are not named in science. Right. Um, just recently, I've had a wait, a, say that that's pretty crazy. That is crazy. That's right. Yeah. Um, yes, there's a what? Dr. Dwayne Estes um, is the one who confirmed it. So you don't have to take that yeah, from me. I, I, I'll cite him. OK. <laughs> um, but I was with him. You know, we've looked at several different species, one um, of grass and, and uh, other broadleaf plants that um what we would call endemic, right? Mm. They're they're not found anywhere else but in a specific place, right? And so those those didn't get there by chance, right? They are they are um, they're key points of history of 
of what this place has been and how plants and flora and fauna have developed in, in wow. any given place. That right? is very cool. It is so cool. And Dr. Estes has shared with us, and we all know, that the grasslands are the most imperiled ecosystem in the southeast That's right. um, and beyond. Um, and it's one reason why Bridgestone Firestone is just so incredibly important for not just quail habitat, but diversity of species. Right. So, so tell us um, what species are you promoting here on the WMA? Yeah. Oh, are we talking plants or wildlife? <laughs> Let's talk or wildlife. All the above. Okay. Yeah. We know they're all tied together. Yeah. We know we have that amazing um, diversity, but but let's talk wildlife. What are you trying to promote here on the WMA? I have a good idea. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> I'm not bashful about it. You know, our, our number one priority is northern bobwhite, and there's a reason for that, okay? Um, I've lived in places where bobwhite can be a a byproduct of a landscape, right? Mm -hmm. An agricultural landscape like Nebraska, they can have scrubby areas that, you know, they, they let get overgrown and it's too arid um, for trees to really take over. Or if they are trees, they're non-native trees. Um, but they can be a byproduct of the landscape. In Tennessee and much of the Southeast, that's just not the case anymore, right? Because of agricultural and land use changes and lack of prescribed fire, if you want northern bobwhite you have to make them the priority mm -hmm. now with that being said um what we're doing is benefiting so many things you know mm -hmm. that I, I could come up with a very short list of things that are not benefiting from it right um a lot of people have questions about you know rabbits out here and this this place gets hammered by rabbit hunters right mm -hmm. where else can you go and find 700 acres to run a beagle at right. it's not very many right um Deer, turkey, right? Those numbers and harvest numbers are not anywhere where I'd like to see them be. And I think that's a, that's largely indicative of the landscape that we're in, right? And, um, you know, so I always like to tell folks, uh, you know, some of my crew had been here for 8 and 11 years before I got here. And so it, it was a drastic difference, some of the things that we were asking to be done, right? But it was a quick turnaround. We saw some of the stuff that we burned and, and dissed in, you know, February and March of, of last year. And then the first place we started seeing does fawns were right where we had burned and dissed right yeah i was um, gonna bring that up because you mentioned that before the show about how how you changed that landscape for for the quail or for the other animals and the deer which that's the first place they go that's right you know and if we we've done another kind of grass and restoration project we're on the back end of it right up the road what what most of the locals would call a honey pond and you can just go through there and see all the browse the browse lines <laughs> from the deer right uh -huh. and i can show you some of these manage the farm is broken up into smaller management units that way i'm not just removing huge amounts of cover all at once right right but i can show you contrast between the deer use just based on browse and and trail lines, right? Um, where they're just highways mowing through some of our, our disc ragweed fields. Wow. Um, so we're absolutely going to see a response with with the deer. Um, we're going to see way more response with the turkeys. We, we flush turkey poults in these mm. brood fields just like, mm. just like we would a, a bobwhite uh, brood. And so, um, you know, the, the one thing, it might not be ultimately very beneficial for a gray squirrel, but... You know, I'm I'm still waiting on the day we see a, a fox squirrel out here, and, and I can guarantee you it'll be a little more conducive for them. Uh, but you, you can run down the list and probably find uh, 
most game species are are going to be very right. are going to be benefited because of what we're doing here. Yeah, a lot of rabbit hunters know Bridgestone mm, Firestone, right. um, and how cool is that? That it's not just even though it's a quail focal area that you all are benefiting all these other species, especially game species right. like deer and turkey um, and rabbit. I, I, I tell my rabbit area. hunters, I say, look, we're, we're going to give you more places to rabbit hunt that's the goal you know if i'm if i'm giving if i'm creating more quail acres there's more rabbit acres for Definitely. sure yeah. yeah well you mentioned ragweed and, and weed mm-hmm. a lot of these native plants people see as just weeds and, yes. and they don't want them but yes. they're so beneficial that's exactly right yeah there's got to be a it's that's a that's a long hard lesson to really kind of indicate right i mean everybody hears ragweed and they immediately think of allergies mm-hmm. right but and you think um, quail I think I don't just think well. I think a highly desirable deer forest, right? (laughs) Yeah. I think uh, turkey broods. uh, I think of a a lot of things. But you're absolutely right. You know, um, what we've been conditioned to prioritize as far as desirable plants. You know, it looks totally counterintuitive when we're managing early successional areas for really any wildlife, Mm -hmm. right? If it looks like something that you'd want to walk out barefoot in you probably it's not probably not very beneficial for it. if it's something <laughs> if it's something that looks really easy to mow and you need to get back and touch it up a couple times a year you're probably not gonna you're not gonna be benefiting a whole lot right, right? Um, but there are a lot of species out here that to you know to the untrained eye or you know they're gonna look like well you just let this grow up right um, and on some level we are mm-hmm. that's that's by design uh, I want I want flowering plants happening at different times of year um to provide you know different different things and i want i want all of this stuff to be happening on different timelines so that they can be you know useful resources you know based on when you know when a nest might be hatching or when a fawn might be hitting the ground mm. yeah one of the things that i like to remind people is what if all the flowers bloomed at one time right. what if all everything was the exact same well we would watch that diversity drastically decline and that's not the goal of the agency right. um and i love that we have these focal areas that we can um, look at this upland game bird species that has declined across not just Tennessee but the southeast and that we have people like Nathan so dedicated mm-hmm. um, and passionate about um, seeing their persistence on the landscape. So the, the one thing what I'll uh, just kind of add on to that is you know we've been working on some signage um, with uh, the um, well I can't even remember the name of it. We're working on some signage that we're going to use to try to really draw some attention more to these open grassland type environments. It's going to highlight the importance of prescribed fire. Um, going to highlight the importance of um, pollinators and uh, insects and that sort of thing. And wow. so yeah. um, I've ordered a couple different sets of those signs that hopefully people can just walk trails. You know, the difference is you might need to bring a big umbrella because you won't be under the shade of a tree, right? <laughs> um, so maybe it, it changes the timing of your walk or your of your nature walk. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're going to do our part to really try to, to educate folks on the benefits, not just uh, not just on a on a podcast, but, hey, come walk. Just come yeah, see. Come check you know, it out. If you go to Virgin Falls and you decide you don't want to do eight miles of, of hiking that day, well, here, here's an hour-long walk, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and one of the ways that you do manage, you've mentioned it, um, and we will get into it in a later show, is that prescribed fire. And um, But you don't just use prescribed fire. I've heard you talk about disking. Talk a little bit about how you're managing um, those early successional areas or areas that are appropriate for quail. Prescribed fire is the, is the cornerstone, right? It's and cheap, too, right? It's cheap. <laughs> it's efficient. But most importantly, it mimics natural disturbance. 
it's historically what would have done the job that we're trying to do now, hmm. right? Hmm. Um, and because of road systems, because of Smokey the Bear and, and numerous other factors, right, we've, we've been trained to think that fire is bad. Um, but, you know, fire is one of those things that it, I love, you know, and, and it's drastically important. You know, in certain places, they, you know, the quail, the northern bobwhite is referred to as, as the firebird, right? If you're not burning, you can't be managing for quail. And we're not talking about the wildfires of what was that right, 2016 yeah. that we all hear about, um, wildfires that are, are out of control in a sense. That's right. These are prescribed under specific conditions. You've talked about it many times on the show, I know, mm-hmm. Jason, but um, these are all uh, all important in that, in that process of maintaining quail in the landscape. Yeah. So last question. Um, what's your hope for quail on this WMA and elsewhere? Yeah, that that's something that I, I think about probably every day and multiple <laughs> times a day. Uh, I think the future is bright. We've we've seen a great response, and I've you know been out here for one growing season. We're we're working through two right now, um, and and there's a lot to to show folks, and hopefully folks are hearing the Bob White whistling in the background. But um, the hope is is very bright, and I I think there's a chance here where we stay committed that um, we're have a chance to to really try to emphasize and, and maybe even talk about having hunting hunting in the future and let folks who talked about their grandparents growing up with setters huh. go get a set of their own yeah and that's cool about yeah it, so well thank I've, you thanks absolutely Nathan. yeah thank you so much i've learned a lot today I, one thing i didn't know i thought a firebird was a pontiac but now i know a firebird <laughs> that's right. is You're a reflecting well. your age. that's right that's right <laughs> So anyway, here comes smoking the bandit. No. Um, thank you so much. This Absolutely. has been fun. Thank you. Uh, Mimi, thank you for helping set this up and sharing the show with us today. Uh, this is Tennessee Wildcast. Keep coming back. Find us out there on our, our podcasting platform. Listen to us uh, on the radio stations. Find us on YouTube, Facebook. We're out there everywhere. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Stay connected with TWRA by visiting our website at tnwildlife.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, it's all about Tennessee wildlife. It's what we do. Tennessee Wildcast will be on the air again next week. We'll see you then.